0: All right. Well, greetings to everyone. I'm Jody Bunn, and my husband Mike also sends his greetings. Maybe you'll see the little two-minute clip from him later. Um, He wishes he could be here, and he had some ministry stuff going on. You'll hear about that in his video. And so he wasn't able to be here with, with us this morning. We are so thankful for City Church Leadership Team. We love how much your pastoral staff and Nancy... Love missions and invest in missionaries. It is always a blessing for us to be here with you for Missions Emphasis Week. And I'm also supposed to bring greetings from my mom and dad, Rich and Esther Collingridge, who um, have been here lots. My dad uh, spoke at a missions conference a year or two ago, I think two years ago. And um, so they also sent their love and greetings. They live with us in North Carolina and are part of what we do there. Um, So in a few words... Michael and I have done missions overseas for a lot of years. Two years in South Africa, 17 years in Brazil, and Mike's a pilot. I'm a trainer. And um, during those years then, we learned some skills, acquired some some experience, and now we're a part of training new missionaries. So we serve at JARS, J-A-A-R-S, which is a missions training campus in um, just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. That's a part of the ministry of Wycliffe Bible Translators. And it's a pleasure for us to be able to pour into new missionaries that are called into missions, to develop them, strengthen them for service that God has called them to. So thank you all for um, your investment in our ministry, for the way that you love and pray for us and support us, and for your friendship. You are a blessing to us. So, um, for those of you that are listening, that are in a place in your faith journey where you're not really sure if you're into Christianity, you haven't decided yet, but you're kind of checking it out, I also want to welcome you because we are thrilled that you are exploring, that you're exploring the Christian faith. All of us have been through this, right? It's a big decision, uh, what you choose for your faith, and uh, we've been through the journey ourselves of exploring and getting to know Jesus Christ through faith in him, through Christianity. And so we just, we just welcome you on your journey, wherever you're at. Uh, we're thrilled for you to be listening in and, um, and asking your questions. That's legitimate, that's honest, and uh, you're welcome here with us. So um, today I'm going to speak from the Bible, and mostly I'm going to be speaking to followers of Jesus Christ, but I just welcome you to eavesdrop, listen in, and find out what you can about what, what we believe about the Bible and also how we try to live out our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ. What, who this Jesus is that we are so crazy about. So welcome to you as well. All right, so this week, the theme of the missions conference is rise. And there's an emphasis there on how we, God's people, are rising up like a sun dawning, To bring God's light and glory wherever we are. So cool. This is an amazing theme because in 2020, we are in a time of confusion. Let's be honest. We are in the middle of a crisis here, right? COVID-19 is causing fear. And uh, we have cultural and racial and political divisions going on. We're headed into an election Ah, help us, Jesus. And so our country is crazy. And around the world as well, there's financial stresses as a result of the global pandemic. And so many of us are in a time of crisis in our lives. And so um, in, in our nation and around the world, we want to look at what God's word says to us as God's people in a time of crisis. Okay, so we're going to look at the story, true story of how a couple of God's people in the Bible faced a serious crisis in their life and times, what they did right, what they did wrong, how God met them, and we're going to see what we can learn from them. So you may like to have a piece of paper handy and a pen because we're going to talk about some practical applications as well as we go, and I find that helps me capture those things that come to my mind. All right. All right. So if you have a Bible or a device, I invite you to check out Luke 24, Luke 24, and we're going to begin in verse 13. And as I read through this true story, as we read through it together, I want you to listen for all the ways that these two early followers of Jesus reacted to the big crisis that they're living to. Okay, listen, listen for this passage. How did these two early followers of Jesus react To the crisis that they were living through in their lives. And I'll let them tell you in their own words what their crisis was. All right? So we're going to begin in Luke 24, verse 13. And I'll read it. You follow along with your your Bible or your device. All right. Starting in verse 13. That same day, this is Sunday, the day after Jesus died. Jesus died on Friday... And this is Sunday, okay? That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some of the women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were back on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord is really risen. He appeared to Peter. And we'll pause our story right there. All right. Awesome. I love this story. I love this story. And to begin with, what I want to draw your attention to is, we just have to admit that it is incredibly easy to lose our perspective in hard times, in times of crisis. All right, Cleopas and his companion lost their perspective. Now, we don't know if this companion was a man, it might have been Cleopas's wife, the companion's not named or mentioned. Or if it's just somebody that was an early follower of Jesus. But when, when the Dr. Luke was writing the book of Luke for later followers, the, the early church, they might not have known that person. So he wouldn't tell the name if it was like insignificant. But we do know the name Cleopas because people that read the book of Luke, the, the letter from Luke at the time when he wrote it, would have gone, oh, it was Cleopas that's right I remember that story the road to Emmaus so companion, or Cleopas and his companion lost their perspective in the middle of the crisis for these two disciples of Jesus in the crisis of losing their master they also lost the plot they lost the story of what was going on and they allowed their faith to be overwhelmed by the current crisis that they were experiencing They forgot that it was all part of God's plan and that they, these two guys, these two individuals, or man and woman, also had a part to play in God's plan, a job to do. In earlier conversations with his disciples, Jesus had warned them over and over again that he would have to die and that they would go through challenging times. But they were on this high with him. They were right there with Jesus. For three years, they were traveling from village to village. They were seeing him do miracles, cast out demons, heal people, multiply bread, raise people from the dead. In fact, God, Jesus had even commanded them to do that, to go from village to village. And in the power of the Holy Spirit... In the name of Jesus, they had healed the sick. They had cast out demons. It was amazing. And they were seeing people come to Christ by the dozens, by the hundreds. People were repenting. The kingdom of God was on this high. And when it all crashed, when Jesus was put on that cross and the disciples saw him bleed and suffer and die, They fell apart. They lost the plot. And that is normal. That happens. They lost their faith in God's plan. So I got to be honest with you that I have been surprised at some of the crazy things that are happening in our nation, in some of my friends in the church, and even in myself. This crisis, this COVID crisis, this election tension, this racial unrest, this, uh, what we're living through right now in our nation, this financial challenge, this was our chance to shine. This was the church's time to walk through this with peace, with hope, with unity. And we haven't always done that. And I have to be honest with you, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in our church in the United States. and I'm disappointed in me and in people that I love and the way that we've been shaken by this time of crisis. But it's normal. It happens. Cleopas literally walked with Jesus. I mean, he literally, in the flesh, knew Jesus Christ. And he still fell apart here when the crisis hit it's okay we do that when the crisis is right here right here we lose perspective we lose sight of the big picture of God's plan that's okay it's normal and we'll come back to that in a little bit as we think about what our reaction can be in a time of crisis all right so that first point is the crisis in the crisis The uh, disciples lost their perspective. Their faith was overwhelmed. Their faith in God's plan was overwhelmed. Okay? The second thing that we see in this passage is that this crisis overwhelmed their faith in who Jesus was. Look at verse 21. It's such a poignant phrase. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but now, you know, we figured out, He's only a prophet. Verse 19, they say he's a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but clearly he's not. Clearly he's not because he died on that cross. And so our hope in him is gone. They'd seen the miracles. They believed in him. They risked their own lives to be followers of Jesus. They served him, but in the moment of crisis, they started to doubt. Is he really the one? Because he didn't do what we expected. He didn't do what we had expected. And what what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up. He walks with them in the middle of their disappointment, in the middle of their unmet expectations. He is with them. And he cares. I have to digress a little bit and tell you that I am learning so much these days about unmet expectations. That is just teaching me so much, about, so much about this. And you may have unmet expectations of your own toward people in your life that really matter, toward your spouse, toward your kids. Toward your parents, your parents-in-law, people let us down and it hurts. You may have unmet expectations or disappointments about the church. Maybe you were wounded by immature Christians. Maybe you were offended by something that was said that really shocked you or confused you. And... Especially if you're still um, if you're still on your spiritual journey and haven't decided yet that you want to be a follower of Christ, a lot of times that's the case. People that maybe grew up in church were burned by something bad that went down, somebody that wounded them in the church, somebody that called themselves a Christian but treated them in a way that was unkind or even abusive and if that's the case, then I I know I'm not the person that did that to you, but I just want to speak for the church of Jesus and say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. You should not have been wounded the way that you were. And I want to ask you to please, please consider um, bringing that disappointment, those unmet expectations and that hurt, back to Jesus, back to God, and just tell him all about it. I love... That in this scene, Jesus just asked them questions. Cleopas and his, and his companion. And he just let them talk. They just talked it out. They just poured it out. This is what we thought was going to happen. This was our expectations. And this is why we had these expectations. And then it didn't work out that way at all. And we are so sad. And we are so confused. And we're so lost right now. And Jesus heard them. And he loved them, and he met them, and he let them just talk it all out. So I just encourage you, if, you're, if, if that's you, just do that. Just go to God. I'd say get outside, you know, find, find a park or woods somewhere. You can even put your earbuds in so people don't think you're crazy. But just talk out loud and talk to God and just tell him where you've been hurt and wounded. And give him a chance. That probably wasn't God that did that to you. That was some human That may or may not have really been a Christian, but um, they weren't perfect and they wounded you. And um, so be willing to forgive. Be willing to put that in the past and and consider coming back to Jesus with that. I love that about these two guys. They took their hurt to Jesus and they told him all about it. Okay, so I kind of went off there on that. Um, When I think about unmet expectations... You also might have some unmet expectations from God. Maybe he promised you some things. Maybe you were hoping for some things. For them, for these two guys, they were hoping for some things from Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And he didn't meet their expectations. And honestly, he never would. They expected a military Messiah that would come with a sword that would raise up the Israelite soldiers to be a fighting force and that would fight against the empire of Rome and give them, as a nation, their national independence. And Jesus never did that. He never did that. He would not meet that expectation. Um, and so you might, you might have those expectations of God that are not being met. I was reading this morning in Proverbs, and Proverbs 13 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's a tree of life. So those unmet expectations that you have of God, there I think there's two different kinds of unmet expectations of God. One of them is what we see in this story, where the disciples expected Jesus to fill a role for them that was never God's plan for him to fill. They had these, like, fabricated, imaginary expectations in their head. And basically, God's answer to that was, you can lay that down. Give that unmet expectation to me, because I am not going to do that. That doesn't fit my plan, and that's not the way this is going to roll out. So just... Give that to me. And so I encourage you, some of your unmet expectations of God might be that kind of unmet expectations and of other people. That it's not gonna happen. That thing was all just a fairy tale you made up in your head. And it is it is not fair to put those kinds of expectations on God or on other people. You have to just lay those things down. Ask God to show you if that's the case with some of your unmet expectations. But there are other kinds of unmet expectations that Proverbs 13 is talking about when he says hope deferred. Now, deferred means it's still coming. It just hasn't gotten here yet. It just hasn't gotten here yet. And these two guys, they would have, if they'd had the words to put it into, if, you know, th- their hope into words, they would hope that Jesus would be alive again. He's dead. We put all our hope in Jesus and he's dead. I just wish he were alive. And that is a legitimate hope. It's just deferred. Because they're living on Sunday morning early, they don't even know that Jesus has already been resurrected, but he has. And this hope is something that they are going to get. It's a legitimate hope. It's a correct expectation. Jesus is alive and they're going to continue to live the rest of their faith journey with the living Jesus Christ. And that's how the the readers of the book of Luke would have known Cleopas' name. He was a believer that they lived with. They knew him. This is just a chapter in Cleopas' life where he wishes for something and he doesn't have it yet. It's deferred. And so you may have those kind of hopes of your own. Where God has given you a promise and you're just like, okay, God, that was years ago. Where is that thing? Maybe it's someone that you love that hasn't surrendered to Jesus Christ yet. And you used to fervently pray for them. You used to weep before God and say, bring them to you, Jesus. Save this person's life. That's a correct hope. But it's just taken too long. And you're, you're in Proverbs 13 right now. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And your heart is just sick because it's taken such a long time. Maybe it's a career promise that you feel like God made to you. Maybe it's something that you're hoping for for your children. Maybe it's a healing. I don't know. I don't know what your hope deferred is for you personally. I have my own hopes deferred. And I've got to go to God, first of all, and lay him down and say, God, this is not something I'm going to demand of you. I can't do that. Your plan, your will is best. But give me the faith. And so now this is my word for you. Cause your faith to rise up. To believe God for those promises that he's given you. Continue to hope in him. To expect his best. See, what happens when hope gets deferred, our heart gets sick, and this can open us up to a spirit of disappointment. And a spirit of disappointment, it can be a habit in my own life. I can tend down this road, and I'm sure you know people like this, that are just really hard to please. You're just never good enough. They're always measuring you. And unfortunately, you don't measure up, right? It's a bummer to be around that kind of person. They talk about what happened in their week, in their day. Well, it never quite meets their hopes or their expectations. And I confess to you that this is something I've struggled with in my own life, where I have these high hopes, I have positivity, and... You know, I have faith and I have these high hopes for things and for people. And when those people don't meet that hope, as soon as I think they should or as I want them to, that causes my heart to be sick, that deferred hope, that unmet expectation. And pretty soon, I'm disappointed with them. And that can be a habit, a thought pattern that we fall into It can also, the enemy loves, when we fall into these negative kinds of thought patterns, he loves to just add fuel to the fire by assigning to us demonic voices that will keep telling us how disappointed we are, how disappointing that person is, how they didn't measure up, how they're never going to measure up, how it's always going to be like this. It's never going to grow. Your marriage is never going to get better. That kid that's wandering in their faith They'll probably never find their way home. You should just give up. And what a disappointment they are. That person that's still figuring out their career, you had high hopes for them for success. They haven't found that success. What a disappointment they are. Do you hear those words? I can almost smell the sulfur. That is the kind of thing that Satan the accuser wants to say. That is not the love of Christ. If you go back to... Um, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He says love and God is love. This is the way he feels toward you. This is the way he feels toward them. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And that's the kind of love that he wants from you. Not this spirit of disappointment, but instead hope. And that's one of the things that we see in this passage. The hope that these two disciples had... Was taking a long time to show up, they felt like. These three days felt like eternity with Jesus dead. But it isn't canceled and it isn't dead. In this passage, their hope in the Messiah's plan is going to be amazing in the future. But right now they're living in the in-between. Okay? So I encourage you in those areas where your hope is being deferred. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking keep on asking God to work in those things, to do his miracle of bringing life to dead things. I also encourage you to stand against the spirit of disappointment in yourself. Make a choice that you're not going to feed that. Make a choice that you're not going to preach those sermons to yourself, okay? Disappointment is normal, but don't let this become a pattern in your life. In fact, if it is you, if you know that this has become your pattern, I encourage you to repent. Repent of the sin that you have allowed to become a pattern, a habit in your own life. And instead, rebuke and cast out the spirit of disappointment. Maybe you're just at the stage where it's it's kind of a bit of a habit, or maybe it's actually become a spiritual stronghold. Whatever. Rebuke that spirit of disappointment and cast it out. You don't want that in your life. You don't want that in your life. And instead, ask the in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood, ask Jesus to set you free from that oppression and to make you a person of faith and a person of hope. And I'm actually, I'm going to do that for us right now. So in the amazing name of Jesus, we just claim the power of your blood right now, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, And we break right now the spirit of disappointment over our lives. We break it and we cast it out. Any demonic voices that have been assigned to us to whisper disappointment, disillusionment, unmet expectations to us, we cast you out right now in Jesus' name and we command you never to return. Thank you, Jesus, for your deliverance from that voice in our lives. Thank you for breaking that over us. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray now that you would hold us accountable, that you would convict us when we start going down into those habits again, that you would very quickly remind us of this, no, uh -uh, uh-uh, that's not the kind of person I'm going to be. And bring us back, Lord, to calling our faith to rise up, our hope to rise up within us as we meet those challenges. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Back to our story. This crisis here um, for these two followers of Christ also overwhelmed their faith in each other as Christ followers. Look at the story in verse 22 to 24. These two um, followers of Jesus say, Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. But even though they're giving the report from these sisters in Christ of theirs, these other Christ followers, by their actions, they're showing that they don't actually believe it. Because if they thought that Jesus was actually alive, then they would be back in Jerusalem waiting for him to show up and do his thing. I, I think that um, when they heard this eyewitness testimony from the women, and Mark is way more brutal as he retells this part of the story, the, the book of Mark. Um, I think that what happened was they kind of went, huh. They said that there's no dead body there. They said that they saw angels. They said that the angels told them that Jesus is alive. That sounds like crazy talk. Because I was there and I saw him die on the cross that day and then carry his body away. And anyway, those women that think that they saw him, first of all, women were not highly respected in jewish culture they were more highly respected in jewish culture than they were in other cultures of the time but even in jewish culture um, women couldn't be witnesses in court for a legal case because their word wasn't you know all that and um and weren't weren't these women like wasn't mary magdalene there because she used to be super demon-possessed. Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So I bet, like, with all the grief and stuff, she just started to slip again, you know? And she's losing it. Um, I can't really believe what Mary Magdalene saw that day. She saw angels, and they told her that Jesus was alive. I don't think that's really true. And so we could... Um, think really bad thoughts about Cleopas and whoever this companion was, right? Like, come on, the ladies said they saw it. Why don't you believe them? But if we're honest with ourselves, in times of crisis, we can also lose faith in each other, in brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, right? Which is the family, the the family of God, the body of Christ here on the earth at this time. And the institution, the church, can let us down and disappoint us. And we can start to lose faith. And, and crazy things happen because brothers and sisters in Christ are just people. And they're not perfect. And they might be Christ followers and doing their best, but they're going to screw up. And I have to be honest with you right now, I'm, I'm disappointed. Things are crazy in the world and I'm not, I'm not seeing brothers and sisters in Christ, including myself, reacting the way that I wish that we would, right? You just have to look on social media and what Christians post. And I'm like, oh, please, people, you know, don't be mean and uh, so divisive. And we're falling apart and we're consumed with fear about COVID-19. And I have opinions. I'm a very opinionated person. And um, We've all got opinions about masks and COVID-19 and the elections and the media and racial tensions and cultural divide. And this stuff, this stuff, our crisis that we're living in can cause tensions between us as brothers and sisters in the church. And it can cause barriers between us. And it is not going to get better, people. Okay, we're only in September and the elections aren't until November and um, political parties love to divide us because they just want to get us riled up, so we'll go vote for them. And they're doing their best to make us really angry at each other. And again, Satan, the enemy of the church, is just pouring his fuel on the fire. He loves it when we quarrel. He loves it when we argue. He loves it when we're offended with each other, when we're angry at each other, when we're disappointed with each other. And he loves it when we isolate from each other. In this scripture you see these two followers of Jesus, um, they're so disappointed with this crisis, they're sad, the Bible says. Their faces, like you could see their sadness on their face, and they go away. They leave, they leave the body of Christ, they leave the other followers, and they go off by themselves. They're going to walk to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, it says, And I don't know what's in Emmaus. It's probably their home. So if it's Cleopas and his wife, maybe it's their house. Or maybe these are two guy followers that are from the town of Emmaus. And they're just like, you know, I can't even. It's too much. I'm going home. And they leave the body of Christ, the other Christ followers that Jesus has given them as a gift to help strengthen them in times of crisis. They isolate themselves. They walk away. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing when we allow all this other stuff to come between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Unity is the most important thing, people. It is the most important thing. And so as we, uh, as we face this crisis, as we head into elections, I just want to challenge you, how can you show love? How can you stand together with your brothers and sisters in Christ even while you disagree about who to vote for or how to handle the masks or all this other stuff. All right, so we see that that this crisis that they faced, it overwhelmed their faith in God's plan for his kingdom. This crisis that they faced overwhelmed their faith faith in who Jesus is as their Messiah. And the crisis also overwhelmed their faith in each other, as Christ followers in the body of Christ. And one more that I want to show you is that this crisis overwhelmed their faith in Scripture. Because when Jesus talks to them in verse 23, no, sorry, verse 25, um, up till now he's just asking questions and he's letting them just vent, right? He's asking good, open questions. What's going on? What's wrong? What's on your heart? And they're just pouring out their hearts to him. But now Jesus is going to speak up. And the first thing that he says is, Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. He's like, you guys, what happened to your faith in God's word? Where's your faith in God's word? And I love that that's recorded here for us because it tells me that I'm not the only one right? And when something crazy hits my life, when I'm facing a huge crisis, one of the things that I tend to do is be like, what? But you said, God, but right here in my Bible, I go hunting and pecking for Bible verses that, that like, tell God what to do with this crisis in my life. It is not just me that loses faith or questions God's word at a time of crisis. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. He walks them back into God's word. They walk together and they chewed over Bible verses that applied to their situation. It's a really good thing to do. I highly recommend that when you're going through a crisis that you find a godly friend, that you take a walk for several hours, and that you chew over Bible verses that apply to your situation. That's amazing. Now, I wish that This chapter was like six chapters longer and that we had this sermon because I would love to hear what Jesus said as he walks them through the Old Testament, the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Whoa, what a cool conversation that must have been. We don't have that conversation, but we have the pattern here. When you face a crisis, when you're losing hope, when you're losing faith in God's word, go back to scripture. Go back to scripture. Find another believer that will be with you with God's word. Go back to your quiet times where you sit quietly with the scripture, with the Bible open on your lap, and you listen to God's Holy Spirit speaking to you. Journal, take notes, do whatever it is that you do to get God's word into you. Because it is only God's word that will keep your faith strong. Three times in this passage, verse 25, verse 38, and verse 41, Jesus calls them on their unbelief. Calls them on their lack of faith. He's calling them out. He's like, come on, you guys. Let's have some faith. You saw the miracles. You walked with me. You have a journey with me. You have history with me. Where's your faith? Cause your faith to rise up. And, and unbelief is that thing that just chips away at our belief in him. Now, um, when, I, when I encourage you to cause your faith to rise up, I'm not telling you that if you have lots of faith, if you can somehow make big faith inside of you, that you'll be able to do things, that you'll be able to do bigger miracles because you have bigger faith. Okay, we're not talking about faith in your own faith because that's, that's witchcraft, thinking that you can cause things to happen in the spiritual world if you have big faith. Okay, now I know I'm, I'm getting really close to a line here because I do believe that Jesus says, if you, if you believe in me, if you have faith in my name, you can speak to this mountain and tell the mountain, move aside. Because through the, through the power of the name of Jesus, we are coming through with the kingdom of God. I do believe that. But where I believe it gets really sort of hinky is where we start to believe in ourselves. We start to believe that we can come up with enough faith to make a thing happen. Uh-uh. I'm talking about causing your faith to rise up in the character of God, in who God is, in who God has revealed himself to you as, in that loving good father, in that his plans for you are good and not evil, in the person of Jesus Christ, in what you've experienced in your walk with him. That's what I'm talking about. Remind yourself, preach a sermon to yourself about how God has been faithful to you in the past, of course he's not going to be unfaithful to you in the future or in this moment of crisis. That's what I'm talking about. Cause your faith to rise up. In Romans, I mean in Hebrews eleven six, um, the author of Hebrews tells us, Without faith, it is impossible to believe, to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So that's the kind of belief, the faith that I'm talking about. You, you know that God is that he exists. You know that he will meet you as you seek him. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Again, getting back into scripture. In Psalm 42, 43, David preaches to himself, why are you so downcast, all my soul? Put your faith in God, in him, in God. He's strong enough. We can put our faith in him. So talk to yourself. Talk to your soul. Encourage yourself to keep trusting, to keep believing, to keep having faith. Those are the most powerful sermons that we'd ever preach are to ourselves. And find yourself some people to do faith journey with you here. Uh, have those life-giving conversations around God's word. That just grow your faith. Encourage your faith. All right. So in the story, Jesus... I love, I love the way new, this is New Living Translation. I love the way it says it here. Jesus acted as if he were going on. They're walking along. They get near their village. Jesus acted as if he were going out. Okay, you know, great talking to you guys. But they begged him, no, no, stay the night with us. It's getting late. So he went home with them. There is something so homey, so personal about the fact that he went home and ate with them. Very cool. I also think it's super cool that in God's economy here, as he's telling this story, it's not after the sermon that their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus and they're like, whoa, totally new perspective now. This crisis is a blip because I see what's going on. It's not after the sermon. It's after they sit together in their home and eat. I love that. How cool is that? There is something so powerful about that old Pentecostal thing we used to call fellowship. Do you remember that? Come to a fellowship? When you're struggling, fellowship in in our uh, church tradition always meant like church family, the body of Christ, godly people to connect with, and food. Am I right? Fellowship never (laughs) happened around food. In fact, a lot of people just think that fellowship means potluck. No, no, no. It means potluck and life-giving conversations around the body of Christ. All right, so I encourage you, even in the midst of our COVID crisis, right? Get your mask. Go find yourself a picnic table at a park somewhere with a sack lunch and a couple of life-giving friends. Go find a a restaurant that does a meal outside. Invite another couple to join you there and ask them, hey, how is God meeting you in this time? What are you learning in God's word? God, what has God been speaking to you? I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. Will you pray over me? As I try to find my way through this crisis, do fellowship together. Sit down and eat and talk and pray and break bread together because Jesus is right there at the table with you when you do that. That is a powerful thing. All right. So God opens their eyes and they realize, whoa, this crisis is way smaller than we thought. This is a blip in the plan of God for the cosmos, for the times. And how did these two disciples respond when Jesus called them out? Because that's kind of what he did. Anna. In verse 23, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe. What is wrong with you guys? Come on. This is not what I expect from you. He calls them out. And how do they respond? Very cool to see so well. In verse 33, it says, and within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Now, this is one of the verses that makes me think that probably the second disciple was Cleopas's wife. Because if it had just been Cleopas, it would have been within the minute. But it was Cleopas's wife. If it was Cleopas's wife, she's probably like, Yes, yes, of course we're going back to Jerusalem. But let me just tidy up the dinner dishes. Give me a second here. Want to leave the kitchen? Okay, now we can go. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And that's God's call for us. When we're coming out of a crisis, on the inside, okay, I'm I'm not saying that the crisis is done in our nation and in the global pandemic, but on the inside when we're meeting a crisis, but God has opened our eyes and giving us a whole different perspective about what he's doing in this time, in this season, um, we can go back to Jerusalem. He's calling us to come back, come back to some things, all right? So that's what, that's what these two disciples did. They went back to Jerusalem, to where Jesus had last left them, to where they lost the plot, to where they got confused and got overwhelmed, to where the crisis hit them. When that crisis hit, they wandered away from the last place they had been with Jesus. Sometimes we do that, right? We get overwhelmed, we lose our way, and we just want to go to our comfort places. And that, that's another reason I think that in Emmaus, it was, it was their home. It says, here they approached when they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, they begged him, stay the night with us. So it looks like that was their home. They went back to their comfy place. They're just like, wow, it's all gone. All our dreams, all our hopes, all our plans, it's gone. And they went back to their comfort place. But um, I would encourage you that maybe this message for you is Jesus calling you out. Is there stuff that you've left behind? If that's the case, then I encourage you to go back to the last thing that he told you. The last instructions that you gave, that you, you received from him. And just be like, okay, God, last time we talked, last time I heard your voice, you said to do XYZ. I'm back. I'm back at XYZ. I lost my way, but here I am. I want to reencounter you and continue this journey together. They also found their way back to scripture like we talked about earlier, that awesome time in God's word. The two Jesus followers also went back to their church family. That thing that I said earlier, when we're hurt, we tend to isolate. We tend to get wounded. And the devil really wants us to do that. And so I encourage you, if you're hurting right now, if you're, if you're losing it, if you're stretched beyond what you can handle with the crisis, I encourage you to find your way back to the body of Christ. Find your way back to other Jesus followers that'll do life with you and speak life into you and encourage you and strengthen your faith and walk with you and help you. Um, If you need some help, there's times when we really, um, where there has been actual abuse or there's been deep wounds. And if that's the case for you, then I encourage you to find a staff person or a Christian counselor that'll help you walk through that. I myself have been hugely blessed by Christian counseling and, So that that is a tool that God has given the body of Christ to help us process deep hurts. Do that. Don't let that hurt, that wound, leave you trapped in a time, in a season of death and of hurt and of crisis. Instead, ask God to speak life into that place and healing, and he can do that for you. He can do that for you. Find your way back to your fam. That's what these two guys did. They went back to their people, back to their fam, and... When they did that, they got more information. They discovered that actually Jesus had had a busy morning. He had appeared to the ladies. He had appeared to Peter. In uh, another passage of scripture in in 1 Corinthians, it says that he appeared to his brother James. They didn't find that out here yet. But let's look at verses 48 and 49 as we read the end of this story. He says... um, Where am I? 48. Mm, No, sorry. Let me rewind. Um, In verses 48 and 49, they found their way back to the plot of the story that King Jesus had written for them. He's starting in 46. And Jesus said... Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Now, these guys are remembering, and they're telling the other disciples there in Jerusalem, the 12 plus the others that follow him, they're remembering what Jesus said to them on that walk. And Jesus reminded them This message is going to be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, you know that we are that, right? We're the result of that message being proclaimed in all the nations. I'm not Jewish. I'm not from the first century in Jerusalem. I wasn't one of the early Jesus followers. But that message got proclaimed by those early disciples to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, in a beautiful chain of the body of Christ, of the plot of King Jesus, of his plan for the the ages, and it has reached, this good news about Jesus has reached its way all the way to me and to you, and we are a link in that chain. This is also his call to us. This message would be proclaimed to all the nations, and this is his call to us. As we talk about missions and missions emphasis week, this is our call. Being a part of the plot of Jesus, not just trusting in it, like, okay, yeah, I think God knows what He's doing, He's working it out, but also, God, what is my part? What is my role? How am I supposed to join you in this journey of, um, of your plan for the nations? So I encourage you that more than ever, right now, people are in crisis. They are looking for hope, they're looking for peace, they're looking for answers, and you have them. You have them. This is a time to rise up in boldness and share the hope and the peace that we have in Jesus Christ with people that we love, people that we work with, people that we're friends with, other students that are confused and overwhelmed and scared right now. In verse 49, he emphasizes, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And that's another reminder I want to give you. I want to call you back to the power of the Holy Spirit. Find your way back to him. It's his power that will fill you. This is fulfilled, of course. This prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled in Acts 2. These disciples would have been there at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes over them, they start to speak in tongues. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't received that, ask God, I want more of you. I want more of your Holy Spirit. God, I don't want any weirdness. I don't want anything that's satanic or that's that's wacky or crazy or that I invent in my own head. But I do want more of you. And so if there's gifts that you want to give me, Holy Spirit of God, I want them. Pour out more of your spirit over me, Father God. And ask the Holy Spirit for power to meet this crisis in a way that honors him, that honors his name, and that speaks faith to other people. So let me pray for us in closing. So Father God, we do that. We just bring ourselves to you. Like these two Christ followers in Luke 24, we do not have it all together. We're all in different places with our story, Lord. Maybe some have really seen you show up in their lives with grace and with power. And uh, we worship you that you're doing that for many of your people all over the world. And there are others of us, Lord, that are disappointed even with ourselves, with the way that we've reacted to this crisis and other crises that we have in our lives, personal crises, Lord. Um, But we just confess to you right now that we are human. We are not perfect. We ask your forgiveness for where we've fallen short. Like Jesus called the disciples out here, We ask for your forgiveness for our unbelief. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. And where we've walked away, walked away from your plan, walked away from your people, walked away from your word, walked away from what we know about you, Jesus, who you are, we ask your forgiveness. And I pray that you'll call us back now by your Holy Spirit. Today is the day. I love these disciples within the hour they had turned around and we're going back to your call on their lives. And each one of us, Lord, in our hearts, I just pray that you would call us right now in Jesus' name to turn around, repent, and go back to the center of your plan for us. That's what I ask. And I ask it in the authority of the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord for your forgiveness, your welcome, and your power in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.